0: Girl, what is the first line of your notes? What does it say?
1: Quote, I'm scared. <laughs> Period. End quote. It's this is hard. It's hard. Yeah, it was hard. I was scared to watch it because I knew this is the kind of thing that's gonna stay with me forever, obviously. Uh-huh. It has been since I've I've known about the story forever. But I just like, how on earth are we gonna do this? Robbia, how, how are we gonna get through
0: this talking you? Robbia be with us. Robbia, we need <laughs> you in this our hour of need. <laughs> Jillian
1: Pensavale. Patrick Heinz. Da- da- <laughs>
0: The no- before we get to the episode, we are down to like thirty tickets left for the Pride Show.
1: I know thirty tickets. I know. I can't believe it. And, it is. and look, you you want those thirty tickets? I'm just saying. It's true. I know some things. It's true. You guys, there are surprises we can't tell you about. It's gonna be great. Saturday,
0: June 29th, New York City. We're covering the Stonewall documentary. We've got drag queens. We got a fancy comic. I'm doing uh, Pride tours all through the village that mm-hmm. morning. Get your tickets if there's if there's any left, and come join us.
1: We're gonna have fun. Yeah, it's gonna be a nice time.
0: Um, you guys, breaking news. <laughs> (laughs) You guys, we're adding one new level to the Patreon because here's the thing. We've decided that we want to do a true crime obsessed after party.
1: We talk a lot and we want every last second of it to be recorded. So here's what we're
0: saying. Every day, every time we record after an episode, we we chat for like, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. We thought, let's record it. Let's put it up. We're going to make it a $7 level. It's a whole brand new podcast. It's the TCO after party. We're going to do this at least twice a month.
1: Yeah. If we have things to say, we're going to do it. If we don't, we're not going to, we're going to spare you.
0: Exactly. But you also at this level get... Get ringtones Ooh. you're gonna get the ballad version and the rock star version <laughs> of the Julian Pasivali <laughs> Patrick Hines dun, dun 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 and because we asked for like text alert people want your breaking news we're gonna give you that too. Alright what what you mean like this? Breaking news <laughs> <laughs> that's a great text And if you're new to the Patreon, you guys, at the $5 level, you get like 90 episodes to binge right this second, Mm -hmm. covering The Staircase, Making a Murderer, The Jinx. What else?
1: Season one of Serial. Season one of Serial. Madonna's Truth or Dare. Lorena. Lorena. I mean,
0: it's so much content to binge right this second. At the $10 level, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, check out The After Party if you're into it, especially for this episode, because I've got a personal connection to the Matthew Shepard case, and I'm going to tell you all about it there. Yep. Um, All right, girl. Let's do this. Okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is there something I can just grab onto for anger and also just like bracing myself for this? It's
0: really hard. And one of the things I wanted to say was that like I sobbed my way through this. Me too. But for a different reason, when Matthew Shepard was murdered, Mm -hmm. I was his age. I was in college. And we all thought at the time, this could be any of us. This was before gay marriage. It was still a really rough time to be a gay person in this country. And listen, for a lot of people, it still is a really difficult time to be a gay person in this country. So I approached the Matthew Shepard case at that time. And really since then, from that place. This time, I watched it completely through the lens of a parent. Yeah. And that took me completely by surprise.
1: It doesn't take me by surprise
0: at all. I'm so used to feeling one way about this case. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then, sort of like really experience this as a parent, and you know, I've had the great opportunity to meet Judy Shepard a couple of times. She wrote the intro to the book that I helped write. Uh, well, and- say,
1: say the name of it, like, tell the people. So many, many
0: years ago, I helped Romaine Patterson, who's featured in this documentary a little bit, write her book. She was like Matthew's best friend in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in the after show. And we're also going to talk more about this when we get to this part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. But um, I helped her write her autobiography and her story of like being friends with Matthew. And Judy Shepard, Matt's mom, wrote the foreword to the book and so you know I have this sort of like deep personal experience with this case and again I'm not trying to connect myself to it I didn't know Matthew I don't know anybody other than remain in this documentary mm. I just happened to live in that world while I was helping her on this thing for, for a couple of years but like to see it from a completely different perspective yeah, yeah. it made me understand Judy and Dennis's journey even better and really see the heroes and warriors that they are to have like survived this and not just that but to have given of like their time and energy to really make something positive out of the horrible murder of their son.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Matthew Shepard.
0: I don't know how many times in my life I've called him Matthew. It's just always been Matt to me, and he was just my friend.
3: I can't picture him as an adult. I can't picture him crying out, but that's not the friend I had.
0: Look, there's my
4: brother.
3: He's awesome. Nice, nice,
2: nice. My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died.
3: What was tied to this fence about a mile outside of Laramie was not a trick, it was real the battered body of Matthew Shepard, beaten almost to death, barely alive.
5: Matthew's mother said, please tell everybody who's listening to go home, give your kids a hug, and don't let a day go by without telling them that you love them. They're very grateful that when they last saw Matthew, his last words to them were, I love you.
1: I am so pissed off.
3: I can't stop crying. He said, it, God hates banks. One thing must remain clear. Hate and prejudice are not American values. Why did he become the icon?
5: Say hi, Mom.
3: It wasn't because Matt was special. He was very, very special to the people that were close to him. But so has every single person who's been killed. How can it help open people's eyes? The
4: fact that I haven't come to terms with this is the way it
0: is. You don't ever think things like that are gonna to happen to people that you know or, or that are close to you.
6: I don't think we could even
0: talk about it. Don't know. So, I want to say, I loved this documentary. Yes, me too. I thought this was so beautifully made. Michelle, if you are listening to this, I am in awe of you. Me too. You are a hero. We
1: were wondering, like, what is your experience How with did this? you know like, how to do this? Yeah. You're so young and yeah, beautiful.
0: Yeah, How did you know how to make a documentary?
1: You know what I think it is? And Michelle, please call us. Please call us. I think it's just, like, she had this calling to do it. She was, it's so personal to her. I don't think she overthought anything. I think she was like, I want to tell my friend's story. This is important. This is what I want to do. Get Guess what? I'm doing it. Well, she woke up at 6 a.m. every day, guess- and she was out of the pavement, and she did it, and it was amazing. Michelle, you're a hero! Michelle, we love you! And
0: the thing that I think is so amazing about this documentary, it has such a specific point of view. It seems to me like this was about Matthew's real friends sort of telling their story about knowing him, sort of sharing Matthew's story for the first time, because other versions of the story have been told. Romaine has told her story about doing the, the angel action uh, thing that she did when Fred Phelps and his people came to protest Matthew's funeral. You know, even Judy wrote her own book about mm. her experience being Matthew's mom. Judy and Dennis are, are heavily featured, but it really tells the story in a new way.
1: Yeah, and also because there are just so many, there's so much old, like, video footage of him, which we always talk about. Oh, my God. These letters that he wrote. He so, was a list maker. Totally. <laughs> he liked airports. Yeah. To all that list. And it's I like, I like it, too. I just don't like to fly. But I like, I, I like, the, the, I like packing, you know. <laughs> so I felt very uh, connected to him in that moment. I'm
6: sensitive. I am honest. I am sensitive sincere. I am not a pest. I am my own person. I am warm. I love helping. I love smiling. I love being myself. I love learning. I love eating. I love airports. I love hugs.
1: But it's just you wrote everything down and it, you know you're different with your friends than you are with your family. Of course. It's true. Just the photographs that she gets of him. We see
0: the very famous photo of Matthew in that blue shirt.
1: Uh-huh. There's a video of him
0: Unwrapping that as a gift yeah. on Christmas morning, <laughs> Michelle, you gorgeous genius. Yeah, I see you, Michelle. I, I got, see you. I mean, the hairs on my arms stood up in that yeah. moment because that's the most famous image of Matthew Shepard. But all the images that she found, all the home footage that was given to her, that she used like so beautifully. You just, I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Michelle, did I mention that I like this stuff? Yeah,
1: Michelle, um, <laughs> we're very subtle here. I on know. TCO.
0: <laughs> She's like slowly turning the volume down.
1: She's slowly she and backing away slowly. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) And we're like, Michelle, come back. (laughs) Yeah, call Robbia. She knows how to handle this. She knows how to deal with this.
0: So it opens with Michelle walking in the prairie of Wyoming. And if you know the case at all, you know that this is where the fence once stood where Matthew Shepard was murdered. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we hear a little bit of news about Matthew Shepard's body being found.
3: What was tied to this fence about a mile outside of Laramie was not a trick. It was real the battered body of Matthew Shepard, beaten almost to death, barely alive. Shepard had been attacked, investigators say, and left for dead reportedly because he told these two men he was gay. Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney have been charged with Shepard's murder.
1: Can we talk about Oscar the Stuffed Bunny just real quick? Because I kind okay. of can't handle it. I, like, still have stuffed animals. I had Ellie the Elephant, very original, I know. I still have her. Yeah. Hip the Hippo, I have. I think they're emotional support animals for me. <laughs> There's Mike posted the picture in the Facebook group of me watching Tower, and I was surrounded by them. Because <laughs> we can't have dogs in the apartment. So uh, when I saw Oscar the Stuffed Bunny, I, I just say, I can't in my notes. Because I knew yep. he's going to play a pivotal role. And no shade, no jokes, that's very, very true. Matt had a stuffed bunny. Oscar? Yeah.
2: So he was his best buddy. All I know is suddenly he was there and going everywhere with him, grabbing by the ears and pulling him or holding on to him everywhere he went. He'd be in the car, he'd be in his bed with him everywhere when he was little.
1: an awesome childhood.
2: Yes, he did.
1: Matthew took Oscar everywhere. And yeah. he's adorable and sweet and very loved on. He's like the Velveteen Rabbit. Like, Oscar's real, everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. stuffed animals come to life. Hello, Toy Story.
0: So we meet Judy, Matt's mom. And the thing about Judy Shepard, again, I've I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times. She's a, Her voice is very quiet, but she exudes authority. He loved, he just loved people.
4: And he loved making people feel better. It's what made Matt mad, you know. And when he was little... He started writing poems to the neighbors and he would leave them in their mailbox. Well, my dad was a postmaster and he told Matt it's really illegal to leave things in people's mailbox without having put his stamp on it. So he decided he'd leave rocks instead. So he'd find these pretty little rocks, gravel, whatever, and put them in thinking they would appreciate that someone had thought to put rocks in their mailbox. Everybody in the neighborhood knew that it was for Matt and the intention was good.
0: She's a survivor, and obviously she's found a way to to transform her grief into action. Mm-hmm. And I saw her speak once, and I remember her saying that she had come from dinner where she had let herself have one martini, <gasps> so she was a, just a little loose, you yeah, know, a
1: little bit. Yeah, and
0: it was so, I and mean, she was smiling, you know, because yeah. you you think you see this woman and you're like she's never gonna smile again, right? But she she did, yeah. And and so you see her in this scene, and I love that she's sort of like showing the the pictures to Michelle, and she shows a picture of Dennis and Dennis looks so serious and she says Dennis always looks like he's hung over in pictures I was like
1: I'm sorry what had to rewind that made sure the closed captions
0: were on so Judy tells us that she had like her first inkling that Matt was gay when he was 8 years old
1: right because he Dolly Parton was his go to Halloween costume which is yes, a girl. fantastic fantastic Halloween costume
4: I tell this story that his favorite Halloween costume was Dolly Parton and that might have been a clue he was Dolly lots of times and uh didn't always wait till Halloween to practice.
0: There's never a bad month to put on your Dolly costume
4: and
1: walk around the neighborhood. Exactly. So she was like, he was dressing up as Dolly Parton, whether it was Halloween or not. So she kind of had this idea. And she says this thing where she's like, I she truly believes her experience is that like when you really love someone, whether family or friend, you know.
0: Yes. And she says it's like a mother's intuition thing. Right. They describe Matthew so much as like outgoing, fun person. He was into politics. He kind of wanted to be famous. He always lit up a room. I'm like, Matthew, we would have been best friends. He, I just know we would have been. He was a theater kid. Totally. Yeah. We see him as like Abraham Lincoln at one point. I know. <laughs> Matt was the one who was kind of the chart. You know, he was the leader.
4: Let the bonds of the slaves be
0: free. He was a little bit actor. He was a little bit politician. And he was a little bit businessman. And he had goals and he had dreams, just like all of us do. And I know it wasn't just going to be confined to Casper, Wyoming. But he was definitely bigger than that. And he had, had more dreams than staying in town.
1: The kid was so, he was so busy. He was involved in everything. And they say this thing, he was always making eye contact with people and always wanted to hang out. Totally. He was was the life of the party. He just had, like, the biggest heart. This tiny little person had this, like,
3: huge personality, which I just love that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So then we meet Walt, the guidance counselor, and he says that he was the first person that Matt ever came out to.
3: I just asked him, you know, what would it mean if that's what you found out? You really are gay. It was so obvious that he had thought about that for a long, long, long time and was so afraid of it.
1: He says that Matt was saying, like, my family would reject me, which, you know, they say. Lots of, of, of course, kids think of that. Of course, yeah, yeah. of course, of course. So Walt is gay. Walt was married and had kids and so there was this kind of bond that they had where Walt had been there and Walt had also had to turn his whole life around yeah. to be who he is and so they had this kind of like uh, mentor relationship and now Matt is starting to have the support system of people he can kind of trust Walt and some other people in and his circle
0: yeah he just has friends like you just like, you see all these pictures of him like in the drama club or like in right. whatever he was doing like he was surrounded by people people loved him right. And but then his dad gets this great opportunity he gets a job in, in Saudi Arabia of all places Sorry, for a gay I, person. I know, I know. And not only that, when they decide that he's going to take this job, Matt is at the end of 10th grade. Yeah, right in the, literally right in the middle of high school.
3: And he was just, just starting to, I think, feel like he might be connecting to people that he could possibly trust. When they moved overseas. So it was kinda of like he got had to start over.
0: I just know I would have been a super grumpy bitch if mm-hmm. that had been my life. Matt seems really happy. Like that's the point. Is like he's not mad. He's not grumpy. At least he doesn't seem like he is. He he's gets like to see
1: the world. And he's laughing with his
0: dad. Yeah. You know, like they, he seems like he's in a good mood. Yeah, he's
1: not resentful like every other teenager on the planet would be. I'm <laughs>
0: like looking at you, girl. I'm looking at you. I would have been like in my room listening to the cast album just Saigon.
1: Aww.
0: Really loud. Yeah,
1: with your arms folded. Aww. Why, John? Why today?
0: (laughs) So we see the home videos, and like I gotta thank the shepherds. I I don't know them, but I want to say thank you for sharing all this home video footage. I
1: know. I mean, it's a treasure trove of footage. It's
0: incredible, and like they really brought us into their living room. Like it's so personal. Yeah. But that we see them in their living room in Saudi Arabia on Christmas morning.
4: Thought you wanted to be on TV, Matt. Thought you wanted to be a famous actor. Oh boy. Especially Teen
2: this towels. year. Uh, oh, let me show you where I'm working.
5: Yeah, where
2: are you working, Dad? This is Saudi Arabia. Here is where we are, Iran. I get to work in Riyadh, the capital
0: just like hanging out having christmas and we find out that in saudi arabia once you graduate like middle school or whatever like the kids don't go to school there they go to boarding school yeah
1: there's not like an american school for matthew to go to so he has to go to this u.s boarding school in switzerland
0: which is where he meets michelle our fabulous documentarian
1: we
6: were in lots of high school plays together rehearsing for months at a time that's how we became close matt wanted to be an actor and he always told me how he was going to be famous one day. We never talked about it, but I know we both felt different. We were both frustratingly short, sometimes we felt weird and shy, not quite cool
0: enough, not quite comfortable in our own skin. And they say that, like, we were 15 years old. We didn't have any, like, parental guardians. Like, our friends were our family.
5: Right. Which, again,
0: that sounds terrifying it to me. It sounds
1: absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And this, again, is like, he's talking about wanting to be a diplomat. He wants to change the world. He gets voted
1: friendliest. Yeah. That's so nice. That's so nice. <laughs> and we also get, we hear from a lot of these girlfriends, and they just feel a little regret that they never had the big coming out conversation with yes. Matthew. Um, did he ever come out to you formally? He did not. He did not. I always thought there was a possibility that Matt was gay, and... um I wish that he would have felt comfortable coming out to me because I wouldn't have cared at all. I would have felt, you know, very special that he had entrusted me with that confidence.
6: That's part of what kind of gets me too. It's like, ah, I just wish he would have felt safe, you know, Mm -hmm. and told us. Maybe it would have changed things, I don't know.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I think that it took Matthew a while to be okay with it. And, like, that was so many people's story back then.
1: Yeah, and also these, these girlfriends are exactly what the mom was saying. Like, when you really love and care for someone, you yeah. kind of know. And then Walt, the guidance counselor, is like, yeah, well, here's the thing, though. Sometimes the closer you are to someone, the harder it is to say it. He was like, just ask my wife and kids. Yeah, my mom, the gay one, the gay lesbian, that's my mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's a gay lesbian, by uh-huh. the way. Is she? She's, She's a gay- She's a what? <laughs> <laughs> she was, like, when I
0: did my original, my first round of coming out, she was the last person I told. Yeah. So this is where we start to hear from some of his teachers at boarding school that they loved Matt, but they were, like, a little worried about him because he
3: was the kind of kid that would take risks. Uh, he had an innocence about him and a belief in people that I think sometimes had he let his guard down and put himself in situations he, that he shouldn't have had to worry about, but being gay, he should have been aware of. It's kind of almost like some of the things that made him the... Such an incredible person. are also the things that made him an easy
1: target. Remember when we were talking about how horrifying it is to just go to school completely unattended, seemingly, yes. with a bunch of other 15-year-olds? So at first, it's like, Matt was a world traveler. They went to Rome. They went to Japan. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. alone? So I'm like, I, you know what? I don't see in any of these gorgeous photos a chaperone or an adult of any kind. It's just 15-year-old kids, like, in Rome, right. Japan, <laughs> or whatever. Um, they decide to go to Morocco.
0: It's him and his friend, Kate.
1: Right, and they're like, yeah, you know, the, the school was a little concerned that it might be dangerous, you know, because we're Americans. I'm like, not because you're 15 year old kid's <laughs> unattended in Morocco. Right. Like, I don't know if the school was there, but they make it seem like the school was like, be careful, bye! <laughs> right. So they go, and like, and
0: Kate says, like, they were a little scared.
1: Morocco, at that time, was so different from anything that we had experienced before. It was very exotic, it was very beautiful, but when we got there, didn't feel entirely comfortable, so we were being very cautious on the first day that we were there. And then this is when you start to realize, like, okay, something bad is about to happen. And Michelle does an excellent job of sort of just holding our hand through it. Yeah, so then we get
0: Kate saying, like, all of a sudden it was, like, 2 in the morning, and we hear a pounding on the door, and it's Matthew, and he, he like, falls onto the carpet, and he's like, screams this guttural scream that I've never heard
1: before. No shoes, no shirt, just screaming. We, I just grabbed him and held him and we fell to the floor and um, he told us that he had been um, raped and he just kept screaming and screaming and screaming.
0: And we get the story, which is that Matthew had been out on his own, sort of wandering around, and Matthew gets pulled into an alley by several men, mm-hmm. and he's robbed, and they rape him. Mm-hmm. He's gang-raped by, by these men, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely brutalizing to him. Yeah. This changes everything for Matthew. This yeah. changes the way that he feels in the world, it changes the way that he sees the world. We start to hear the people in his life saying that, like, where there had been this like confident, gregarious, outgoing guy, now there's this sort of more timid, more reserved. I think his mom even describes him as sort of like having the stance of a victim.
1: Yeah, like his whole posture changes. He used to make eye contact with everyone and be very like engaged. That is out the window now.
0: And I'm just putting myself in his position. But mm-hmm. like, you're a kid who knows you're gay, but you're not out of the closet yet. You have this unbelievably violent encounter that happens to be sexual.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. And
0: you can't really talk to your friends about it and you can't really talk to anybody about it. But obviously he tells his mom. He does tell Kate. Mm-hmm. And he gets taken out of school. He's brought back to Saudi Arabia to be with his family for a while. And so his friends describe that he comes back for graduation and they can just see that he's different.
6: Yeah. Kate told me what had happened in Morocco back when we were teenagers and made me promise not to tell a soul. Matt had left school to go home and be with his family. When he returned in time to graduate, I could see that he had been broken. I wanted so badly to say something, but I couldn't even tell him I knew. I mean, what can you say? A year later, a friend told me he heard a rumor that Matt was gay. I mostly just remember thinking, there was so much I didn't know about my friend.
0: So after this, Matthew's gonna go to college. He doesn't really know where he's gonna go. He he ends up going to a college in North Carolina. And that's where he like calls his mom and like comes out of the closet.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And and Judy's like, he made me promise not to tell his dad, and I said, Okay. And then I went and told his dad. Yeah, then it was like, <laughs> Okay,
1: I love you, click, Dennis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which, like, okay, I mean... Look, that is an impossible position for a parent to be put in. Because how do you not tell your spouse? Right. But also, like, she says she was afraid that Dennis might off-the-cuff say something that he could never take back if he didn't have this information. Right.
1: So he he's starting to come out to people slowly now. And he writes a letter. Again, they wrote everything down. And he writes to Nikki Pearson, his friend Nikki. And he's just writing this letter, you know, I miss you, and it's kind of sappy. And then it just says, P.S., I have something to tell you. I'm gay, okay? I love you, bye Eve. In so many words.
0: That's how I came out. It was Christmas Eve dinner. And I was like, you guys, can you pass the salad and the bread? And oh, by the way, I'm gay. Yeah. my mom was like, yeah, we all know. Everybody knows. We've been talking about it for years. Where have you been? We can finally talk to you about it Yeah, thanks for catching
1: up, girl. (laughs) Thanks for joining this party.
0: So now that Matt is starting to like come into his own a little bit, he decides he's got to get out of this like North Carolina college town, and he moves to Denver. Enter Romaine Patterson. So Romaine is the woman that I helped her write her book many years ago. Right.
6: Well, how long was this whole Denver
5: period? The Denver period was about a year. He was in Denver for just about a year. Here was this huge city. It was just kind of like this huge playground for him to do whatever he wanted. In some times, he did really fun, wonderful things. Everyone was fighting over who was going to get to um, date him first. It was ridiculous.
0: Romaine is only a little part of this movie. And again, Michelle is being so smart because Romaine's story's been told in the Laramie Project and in Romaine's book sure. and, you know, in the HBO movie and all the movies that were made. Everybody sort of knows Romaine's story, so they don't focus too much on it. The one thing that I will say is that, like, Denver doesn't go great for Matt. Yeah. The one thing that is left out of this is kind of what a great friend Romaine was was to Matthew she really really looked out for him she was really there for him Romaine has this incredible story where her older brother Michael lived in Denver that's why she went there because he was gay and her brother John was gay and she was gay and they all moved into this house together and then Michael had AIDS and he died and Mm. and Matthew was a part of this world Romaine talks about when Matthew was really depressed like you could really
5: see it but when he was depressed uh, which was a good chunk of the time that depression took him to really dark places There'd be times you wouldn't see him for a long period of time. You'd show up at his apartment and the, the apartment would just be trash. There'd be food rotting on the kitchen cabinet. Sometimes he didn't even have food in the house. Uh, I remember one time we went over and he had a radiator leak in his apartment and he'd literally taken all of his clothes and just thrown them on top of the pile of water.
0: Romaine really took care of him. And so that's that's a little bit left out. I get it. You can't tell every story in every documentary. right? But Denver was hard and not great for Matthew, but he had Romaine, and Romaine was a really important piece of his life. Yeah,
1: because she does say in, in this movie, like, yes, the apartment would just be in shambles. Yeah. And, you know, he would fall off the face of the earth. He was so in touch with everybody, and then he wasn't. You know, those letters stopped. The phone calls stopped.
0: Again, I don't know what his journey was, but he was sort of slowly healing from the attack in Morocco. Absolutely, But, I mean, that kind of thing never leaves you. No, never. So he's sort of convinced to move back to Laramie to go to school at the University of Wyoming at Laramie. And it's this guidance counselor that was sort of his mentor. Walt, Walt has this moment where he's like, we know I convinced him to move here.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of people that have a lot of guilt here. Like a lot of people place blame on themselves for one decision they made that led totally you know
0: yeah and the move to laramie was he was really excited about it it was kind of like going home for him and he goes to laramie okay you guys enter miss jim osborne as soon as jim osborne came on the screen i was like here she is is. so jim was like the president of like the gay group on campus Mm
3: -hmm.
6: it sounds like he made quite an impression on you like right away
3: well, it's it's pretty unusual for us to have, or at least at the time it was unusual for us to have, you know, brand new students showing up on campus and saying, I want to be involved with the gay group. Um, you know, it was real clear that he was not a traditional 18-year-old college student and all that. He'd, he'd seen a little bit more of the world than um, than most of our students, it seemed. And-,
0: and so Matthew was, like, super excited. And he was saying, like, he wanted to implement a mentor program for, like, the, the mean, younger gays. Yeah. And Michelle says to Jim, like, you guys must have been quite a pair. Jim is a really, really big guy. Yeah. He's just tall and he's big. And Matthew's teeny tiny. They,
1: they just look like such an odd couple. The visual <laughs> of them is just like... But that, that's, that makes it perfect, right? <laughs> totally. You know?
0: And Jim calls Matthew a pocket gay. Yeah. I was just like, he's just like a pocket gay <laughs> <Still> travel sized <laughs> I feel like I needed a little bit more Jim yeah. I was like you know that he's definitely could have been the comic relief here totally
1: totally Jim yeah.
0: if you're listening girl call me
1: life of the party so
0: if you don't know the timeline of the case Matthew was not in Laramie very long at all no. before the attack happened I don't remember exactly how many days or weeks it was but it was a short time and so now we're sitting with Judy and she sort of takes us through the night of the attack
4: my understanding is there was a meeting of the campus LGBT group. And then after that, he wasn't ready to go back to his apartment and study. He wanted to go have a drink. Uh, no one wanted to go with him, so he went by himself to the fireside.
1: And we meet Matt Galloway, who's the fireside bartender, and he tells us what happened inside the bar. And I'm
0: like, does he still work at the fireside? I don't know. Because we're inside the fireside. It, and it, he's
1: looks, like- it looks like he is. I don't know. Yeah. So did he come in alone?
0: Uh-huh. And uh, that wasn't an unusual thing for him to come in and sit at the bar and have a few beers couple things. Mm -hmm. There is a play called The Laramie Project, which Uh was written by the Tectonic Theater Project. Basically, this theater company from New York went to Laramie like literally right after the attack to interview all of the people of Laramie to sort of get the story while it was fresh. It's a documentary-style play where the actors play themselves interviewing these people, and then they also play these people giving the answers. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely incredible.
1: I have stuff to say about that in my portion of at the after party. I'll tell you at the after party. Oh, tell me at the after party.
0: And it's a mind-blowing play, but the guy who plays Matt Galloway is great. Mm -hmm. He's like a great character in it. He tells the story that around 11 o'clock, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson walk in. Oh,
1: where? Excuse me. (laughs) Oh, 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 there she is. Russell and
0: uh, Aaron McKinney came in pretty grunged out and looked like, you know, probably some local guys that had been working. And they ended up ordering a picture. I brought the picture to them. They paid for it with dimes and nickels and was hoping that they didn't have enough for another one. Because I really didn't want to go through this all night with these dimes and nickels.
1: I'm so glad we haven't said their names until now. Dimes and Nichols. And you, like, in my head, they were doing it to be dicks. Or well, whatever. They are the guys, when they walk into a bar, you know where they are. Yeah,
0: totally.
1: Them. And so,
0: Matt, being the social person that he is, like, he gets up and he's, like, walking around and talking to people. And then, Matt, the bartender, is like, yeah, I saw him over there talking to them, which seemed a little weird.
1: Which seemed very strange.
4: Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney came in. By their story, they s- noticed Matt figured he had money, that he was gay. According to them, they went into the restroom, uh, hatched a little plan that they would pretend to be gay, introduce themselves to Matt, and they were going to rap him.
0: Who knows what, what of their story is real and what of their story isn't real. But we hear from Matt, the bartender, and he chose his words very carefully here. Yeah. Because he doesn't say, I saw them leaving together. I rewound it. He says, I saw them leaving at the same time.
1: So now we meet these cops, Dave O'Malley and Rob Debris. They get hero bells. Yes. Yes. Where is she? <laughs> totally hero bells. I love them both. I'm yeah. glad. Okay, good. They tell us more about the these garbage pieces of shit. So they're just like, you know, Russell was a follower, and one of them was like, and loyal to that dirtbag Aaron for whatever reason. <laughs> Season. And yeah. you you know that dynamic, right? Like, everyone has either seen it or been in it and got out of it. Like, the the bully, the guy who runs the show or girl or whoever, right. the queen bee, and then the person who's like, okay, yes, like right at attention. Russell was uh, at attention, <laughs> and Aaron was the leader of this really shitty two person pack that everybody hates. Yeah, exactly. So, did I get it right? You nailed it. Go ahead, great, great, For you. Great, thanks. The cops call Aaron a consistent customer. Right. <laughs>
0: Come on. We know who these guys
1: are. Yes. So they
0: get into Aaron or Russell's truck. I don't know whose it is. And Russell is driving and they try to rob Matt. Judy says that he gives his wallet over right away. Mm -hmm. And then in their telling of it, Matthew, quote, touched my leg. And McKinney, Aaron McKinney, freaks out and takes the butt of his gun and just starts beating Matthew. Right. So they drive out to the prairie, the prairie where we saw Queen Michelle at the beginning of this episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Judy tells us that, like, Matthew was, she says that he struggled. We know he struggled. He fought. And they they tie him to this fence. And Aaron McKinney continues to beat him until he's basically unconscious. Mm -hmm. And they leave him there. They leave him there. There
4: were 18 blows to the head and face four skull fractures the final blow was the one that killed him that was behind his right ear right back here the butt of the gun came down and crushed his crushed his skull in and crushed his brainstem and torn his ear away and then they found him 18 hours later
1: and then cut to 5 a.m. in Saudi Arabia. Because you have to remember, Matt's parents, his family are across the planet. Yeah. Remember I, I, also. I forgot about that. Watching this, I completely forgot that they were in Saudi Arabia.
0: He's also only lived in Laramie for two weeks. Mm-hmm. All of, like, Romaine and, and that whole crew is in Denver. They don't know. Yep. And so they get a phone call at 5 a.m. Dennis says that the, we assumed it was Matt because he always called early. And it was the hospital saying, like, Matt's hurt. There's been an accident. Like, you need to come home. And this part of the story I had never heard before. What? Dennis just assumed it was a car accident.
2: Judy's sister says Matt's story is all over the internet, the newspaper, the radio, the television. And I'm going, what story? He was in a car wreck I said no it wasn't a car wreck so this when it started hit us
0: so now we cut to Walt the guidance counselor this
1: like I can't because
0: Walt has gotten wind of what's happened sure and Walt is the one that starts alerting the press because he's saying look the local news is going to try to gloss over this we need people to know that this was a hate crime right he's calling the press in Denver and
3: Casper all of the major news outlets and they're all picking up the story all we wanted to do is make sure it wasn't covered up. It may sound like an exaggeration, but I woke, got woken up by the telephone probably at six o'clock the next morning. And it was someplace like the Washington Post. And when I hung up the phone, it rang again. And when I hung up the phone, it rang again. And my phone did not stop ringing for two weeks. I mean, it was just like overnight, the press descended on Laramie. I always thought, well, Matt, you wanted to be famous. Well, you're certainly famous now.
1: Matt had 20 bucks on him. You Wait. don't do that to someone for $20. This was a hate crime. Say it. Yeah. Call it what it is and let's do something about it.
3: So now
0: we're going back in time a couple hours and we're cu- we're cutting to Queen Reggie Flutie. Can we get a hero bell? Yes. Queen Reggie Flutie. She was the first sheriff on the scene. Yeah. Matthew's body was found 18 hours after he had been beaten and tied to the fence. Mm-hmm. So it's early in the morning. It's cold. It's October. It's not mentioned in the documentary but a biker, like a guy riding through the prairie, saw Matthew, thought he was a scarecrow. Yes, yes. And Reggie gets a phone call and she goes and we get her perspective on getting to Matthew. Right. And she sees him. She thought he was like a 12-year-old boy.
4: I got as close as I could in the car and then got out of the car because of the terrain and ran up to where he was. He was tied uh, with his hands behind his back to the buck fence and he was laying on his back. My whole point was just to keep him alive. My whole point is just to get him some help. And, you know, just let him know that somebody was with him. You know, he was going to be all right. You know, you just
0: hoped he would be all right. Michelle says to her, "Did he look anything like what you now know he looks like?" And she said, "No, no. he was like deformed, <laughs> and he had he was covered in blood, and the only part of his face that wasn't covered in blood were right under his eyes where he had been crying." So now we're back with the shepherds, and then Judy tells us about like when they get there, they're trying to get the shepherds up to speed on like what his condition is. Right, and the doctors say to the family, like the best thing that you can do for Matt is to like not bring your stress into the room. You know, like he'll feel that. Right. You have to. go And Judy said we tried. We went in and we were like as calm as we possibly could be. I mean, yeah,
1: what a thing. Yeah, I get it, but what a thing to ask. Like, Yeah.
0: This is the part where Dennis goes in search of the bunny. Because
1: I I think he says like it was, they were just in the hospital and it was like two in the morning and he was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go get Oscar. Because they wanted to see if Matthew could sense Oscar. That would maybe be something that would trigger something or wake him up on some level. It was the last attempt to sort of get their son back.
2: So about 11 o'clock at night I hopped in my truck drove like crazy up here to Casper and I opened up the storage unit put on the headlights left them on all night and started pulling out every box and I couldn't find Oscar in a way I regret I couldn't find Oscar in a way I think you God god tell me you keep Oscar for yourself you need to have something to remind you of the good days
1: and it's like, all right, that's the universe at work there, yeah, that yeah. now they get to have this true piece of Matthew still.
0: And so they they just kind of know that if Matt doesn't die, they're going to have to make a decision. Because the doctors are explaining to them, the Matt that you know is not, is he's gone. Right. So you either have to keep him in a vegetative state forever, mm-hmm. or you have to decide to turn the machines off. And
1: the cops say, like, not in a callous way, but they want to get the people who did this, right? Right. Matt's body is evidence.
0: Right. And so we get the story from Walt, the guidance counselor, where Judy says to Walt, and this is so... brutal but she says to Walt like you gotta go and tell Matt that he's gotta stop fighting. She
1: says like talk to him like tell mm-hmm. him like just the, the wording of it that she knew like the Matt you knew isn't there anymore but that's why they were looking for Oscar the bunny you know like he yep. could sense and hear things and so what happens with Walt is just oh my god. You know
0: Walt says like that was the most difficult thing I could ever have been asked to do but I was so grateful that Judy and Dennis asked me to do it. So I did.
3: I went in sat down and started talking to him It was time for him not to be fighting, not just to stay alive, but uh, that he wasn't going to be forgotten, that he was going to be famous, that there was going to be some good coming out of this, and that he really needed not to put his parents through the decision they had to make. And for his mother and his dad, he needed to just let go. Left, yeah. said my and
1: left. And then Walt says, and he died at midnight that night. And <laughs> I was, I mean, look I at know. my, look at me. I,
0: so- I sobbed my goddamn way through this. Thing. I mean,
1: it that was like, and he, di- I was just like, oh my god. And then you get this feeling of, or people then get this feeling of, this has to be it, right? This has to be the thing that's going to make things change. Because if it's not this, what the hell else could it be?
0: Right. Because what happens now is that Matthew's story has gone the 1998 equivalent of viral. Yes. Everybody knows about it. It's on every news station. And everybody is sympathetic. And then we're seeing these like rallies where Kristen Johnson gets up and talks. Yeah. And she's like, I just would have loved him. And then Ellen, I mean, this is so famous, but like Ellen gets up and she's, this is Ellen's a generous, like America's sweetheart. Who
1: was always bubbly and happy yep, and never dancing. said anything, and you know, she's like, oh, oh heck, you know, right, yep. and she is her true self in this moment. I am so pissed off. <laughs> can't stop
0: crying. Everybody appreciated it so much. So yeah. Matthew's story has just gone absolutely viral. Right. So Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson like they admit to everything.
1: 23 and 22 years old? Yeah. Oh my God. They're children. Yeah, yeah. So Aaron is charged with kidnapping, aggravated robbery, and first degree murder and he's up for the death penalty. Yeah. And Russell, the little the little puppy, which is like derogatory to puppies, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, the little lemmings, sorry lemmings. Um. <laughs> Uh, he pleaded guilty and he's in prison for life.
0: Right. So the whole thing with Aaron McKinney's trial is that like, are, is he going to get the death penalty or not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this kind of incredible thing where Judy and Dennis Shepard from what we know are pro-death penalty but by the time it rolled around to Aaron McKinney's trial there's this whole thing about the Shepherds deciding they didn't want the death penalty for him that it was time to heal and there's this news coverage that's like, basically the Shepherds go to bat for Aaron McKinney to save his life.
1: Right, because he's found guilty and yeah. they step up and say, can you actually take that? Like when it's time for sentencing, I say, can you take that off the table, please? And Dennis Shepard has
0: this incredible victim statement. And I hate to use that word, but Mm. he makes this statement in court and I'll just play it. But he basically talks about how like I'm giving you life.
2: On October 12th, my firstborn son and my hero died 50 days before his 22nd birthday with his mother and brother holding his hand. He actually died on the outskirts of Laramie when you beat him. You left him out there by himself, but he wasn't alone. There were his lifelong friends with him. First, he had the beautiful night sky, with the same stars and moon that we used to look at through the telescope. Then, he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him one more time. One more cool, wonderful autumn day in Wyoming. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind, for the last time. He had one more friend with him. He had God. I feel better knowing he wasn't alone. Mr. McKinney, I'm going to grant you life as hard as that is for me to do, because of Matthew. Every time you celebrate Christmas, a birthday, or the 4th of July, remember that Matt isn't. Miss McKinney, I give you life in the memory of one who no longer lives. May you have a long life, and may you thank Matthew every day for it.
0: And so, in the meantime, is Matthew's funeral. Mm-hmm. And again, Michelle chooses not to cover this super in-depth in this documentary because it's covered so in-depth in the Laramie Project, in Romaine's book, in Judy's book. It's it's what we know of this trial. But basically, the Westboro Baptist Church shows up oh. to protest. And, you know, Romaine Patterson and Jim Osborne create angel action where they build these amazing angel wings to surround them. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I had never really heard Judy's perspective on this. Yeah. But she says, like, we just wanted to bury our kid. There was protests and counter protests and you never think that your kid's gonna get murdered and more than that you never imagine that you're gonna have to deal with this sort of chaos when you're just trying to lay your son to rest. With
1: everyone in the world watching you.
0: So there's one thing I really want to talk about. Yeah. Michelle goes to meet with a priest. His name is is Father Schmidt Mm -hmm. and he's a character in the Laramie Project as well. Yeah. And he tells her that when all of this was happening he was going to the trial every day Mm -hmm. but he was also going to visit with Aaron McKinney in jail
1: because Aaron was requesting to see him
0: yeah and it's his I don't fault him for that of course that's his job as a
5: priest sure
1: sure sure and he says these things you know like Aaron was super cocky and at first Father Schmitz even says you know it was hard for me to keep my composure like seriously I have to be nice to this person yeah and at first I'm kind of like oh okay
0: yeah and then there's this whole thing where Michelle asks him if he thinks that they have good in, in their hearts do
1: you think
6: there's good in their hearts
2: That's difficult to
3: answer. I I believe this. There is more to Russell and Aaron than what happened
0: that night. I agree with
3: all of this.
1: Sure.
0: They made an unbelievably tragic decision. Decision. When they were very young. And they're going to pay for it for the rest of their lives as they should. So Michelle starts crying. It's sort of like a, are they recording this or are they not? Because the
1: camera's a little below, like on the side of Michelle. It's a very cool raw shot. It's
0: very cool. And it's very cool that she decided to keep it. Because she is crying and he's apologizing. Like, I don't want to upset you. And she's saying, it's just really hard for me to hear you talking about Matthew And Russell and Aaron being looked at the same way by God, yeah,
1: looked at equally. And she goes because I'm just I have so much anger, I'm so mad. And how can these people be on the same level according to you in God's eyes?
0: And I don't love his reaction. I I don't don't love what he says to her.
1: I mean, she's laying so much of herself out here, right? Yes. And he, she's crying and she's trying to keep herself together. And she says, you know, I just I want to heal. And the priest says to her. I don't know what you mean by healing. You're right. I just think it would, it would be better if all of us were able to heal a little faster. Well,
3: I don't know. I guess we see this a little differently, and that's fine. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by healing. I think that God put you and Matthew as friends. And, um, you know, there are a lot of risks in being friends of someone. And you you are feeling the risk right now and the pain you feel. And I hope you never lose being angry at
1: this. I was like, what? Yeah, I know. Like, I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> I even have in my notes just one word. Father. Period. Like People go to to people in faith and spirituality for help and healing. So for him to say, I don't know what you mean by healing was a big like, "Er, I'm sorry,
0: what? (laughs) I wanted him to be her priest and not everyone's priest.
1: Yes, don't lecture her. Just give her some compassion.
0: Exactly. And that was making me so mad. Because in the Laramie Project, it's not here. He says this whole beautiful thing where he obviously didn't want them to get the death penalty. He's saying it should be the opposite. They should be forced to... To live. And they should be forced to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody is saying throughout, is that the way that we're going to get better as a society, the way that this we're going to stop creating boys and men that do things like this, is if we can understand how Aaron and Russell got here. And we're only going to know that if they tell their stories. Yeah. We have to know their stories. Yeah. And Judy says this in another way, sort of towards the end, where it's like we have to know how Aaron and Russell got to be who they are. right? So we can make sure we don't create people like that anymore. Exactly. And I like all of that, but it's also like, just let Michelle cry. Yeah. So it it sort of ends with Judy and Dennis and Logan creating the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Mm -hmm. And Judy says this great thing where she's like, I knew that I had a small window of time to make a difference.
6: Right. You definitely had a choice you could have hid forever.
0: We
4: did have that choice, but we both knew that we couldn't do that. We would have, we would have gone crazy. We would have been haunted by the fact that we had the opportunity to make a change and didn't do it. So we, uh, stuck our feet out there and here we are.
0: And, like, there is so much strength in that because it would have been so easy for her to curl up in the fetal position and die like I probably would. People were sending money in from all over the country for his medical bills and for all of this and she took all of this money and she created this foundation. Yeah. And she gave herself a voice and you see her, like, testifying before Congress and, you know, going out and meeting people and, like, they create this foundation to to sort of elevate Judy's voice so she can, like, as they say, like, pick up where Matthew left off. I just feel this is a Judy has just picked up exactly where Matt would love
4: to have started the day he graduated from college, had he ever been able to do that. It's the kind of work that Matt would have given anything to be able to do, and his mother's able to do it
0: because he's no longer here. She can go out there and be the voice that Matthew wanted to be. Like, he wanted to be a diplomat, and she can go out there and and say the things and do the things.
1: Yeah, and then it's like, they work so hard, and after 10 years, finally some hate crime legislation gets passed. And it's like, thanks, Obama. Literally, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. This afternoon, I signed into law the Matthew Shepard
3: and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes prevention.
0: And, then, and it ends on that very positive note. Like, there, Judy's still out there. She's still doing great in the world. And my favorite, favorite line is that it ends with somebody saying that Matt's greatest legacy is a generation of advocates. Because, you know, so so many people like me came of age during this time and wanted, because of his murder, to make a positive change in the world and, and are doing it in their own way. And that really is Matthew Shepard's legacy. <laughs>
1: We're so scared. We got I through was it. scared, yeah. Michelle, you made a great movie, yes. girl. We love it so much. I know. Love, love, love. Come say hi. Please, you are. come say hi.
0: Speaking of, you guys, come to our Pride Show, June 29th, New York City. I think we've got like 30 tickets left. Yeah. It's going to be a Drag Queen extravaganza. we got a fancy comic. I'm doing my Pride tours mm-hmm. all around the village that day for anybody with a ticket. And some other surprises we can't talk about. Some right other now. crazy surprises. It's going to be so amazing. Mm-hmm. You guys, brand new this week, stick around for the after show. It's at the $7 tier at our. Patreon. Yes. Uh, a couple times a month we're going to pop in where we stick around and chat. I've got so much to say about my working with Romaine and getting to meet Judy and I've got, you know, stuff to say about the whole Matthew Shepard situation. Yeah, and
1: I was just talking about the Laramie Project with a very good friend of yours, so we'll talk about that at the after party too.
0: Uh, by the way, you guys, I worked with once a very fancy director mm-hmm. who uh, directed a version of the Laramie Project with Romaine. It's all in the after show. And if you want to join our Patreon at the $5 level, you guys, you get our episode-by-episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, Lorena. The Jinx, Lorena. I mean, it's literally 80 episodes for you to binge right this second. That's
1: a party in and of itself.
0: It's a total party. I'm just saying. Ain't no party like a Patreon party.
1: Because a Patreon party has an after party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Say Her Name.
0: The Sandra Bland documentary. Yes. You guys, People have been requesting it. We really want to do it. I'm, yeah. again, I'm a little nervous. I was going
1: to say, Say Her Name. The story needs to be told. A little terrified. I know. Really want to get it right. But look, we're going to do it for you. We're totally going to do it. Girl, where can they find us? At True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter. True Crime Obsessed podcast on Instagram. And True Crime for all our fancy, everything else you need. Everything else. Where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things.
0: I'm at Patrick underscore on the Instagram at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. So you guys stay tuned for the amazing trailer for Say Her Name which we just watched.
1: Yes we're both wow. I cannot
0: wait to do this. Yes. And then our hilarious outtakes.
1: You guys we love you. We love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and going on this ride and I hope you learned a lot.
0: Me too. And come check out the after party.
1: Yeah. Oh I'll meet you there. I'll see you over there. Okay. Get the cocktails. Okay bye.
5: Today, Sandy Speaks is going to focus directly on my white people. What I need you to understand is that being a black person in America is very, very hard. I will light you up. Get out. Wow. Now. Sandy called me, let me know that she had been arrested. How do you go from failure to signal a lane change to dead in jail by alleged suicide? I believe she let them know
0: i'll see you guys in court and i believe they silenced her
5: do i think this jail have anything to do with her death no but moral responsibility was absolutely if we want change we can truly make it
1: happen sandy speaks you're gonna get. Or can you imagine someone having that as their ringtone with all their friends? Breaking news! Breaking news! Breaking news! Bethany, answer the phone! <laughs> In the name of Rabia and Susan Simpson and Colin Miller, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jillian Benzavale! Whoa! <laughs> Patrick Hines! I tried to meet you on the... We're very, we're lovely people. We are,
0: but we get really obsessed. So now you're one of our queens.
1: Oh, it's Queen Michelle. And loud.
0: Please. We are loud. Turn it down, girl.
1: Turn it down and walk away slowly. It's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll find. I was gonna say it's okay. We'll find you. Yikes. You
0: know, she took her her earbuds out. She's like, yeah. I gotta wait. I gotta. I'll, I'll get back to this after lunch. She took the
1: earbuds off and left them on the counter and can still hear us, Crystal. <laughs> Michelle, come back. <laughs> You're making it worse. Patrick, don't. I
5: know,
0: I'm sorry. Somewhere, somewhere,
1: Robbie is like, You guys are just getting worse by the day. I didn't even have it this bad, says Queen Robbie. Michelle is so young and she made such an amazing documentary. I know, she's amazing.
5: Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Like you could fall and no one would hear? Well, let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay, cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand, you can reach, reach out your hand, and oh, someone will come running, and I know they'll take you home, Even when the dark comes crashing through When you need a friend to carry you And when you're broken on the ground You will be found So let the sun come streaming in Cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again Lift your head and look around You will be found